Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 209 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Sunday evening. It is the middle of March. The Braves are playing baseball. And uh, before I even bring my guest in, I have to ask him, is it time to panic about the 5-9 and nine spring training Atlanta Braves? Is it time, Scott Coleman? First of yeah. all, how are you? Is it time to panic? <laughs> uh, you know, 5-9, and nine, uh, two weeks into spring. I don't know about you. I'm ready to pack it up. Um, and just kind of give up on 2020 and shift to 2021. But, uh, but no, I mean, I know there's been any time you, I mean, you want the Braves to win every single day, regardless of if it's spring training or regular season or postseason or whatever it is. But, um, no, there's, there's no reason to care about these things. Uh, the defending champion Washington nationals, I think have the same record as the Braves, or at least they did at the beginning of Sunday. Um, and like these guys just don't care. They, they have less than three weeks to go, which is exciting, but um, if, if you're freaking out about a five and nine record, I'm, I'm just uh, maybe take a couple of weeks off and get ready for the regular season. It probably hurts a lot of people's souls listening to this podcast to hear you refer to them as the defending champion Washington Nationals. I'm sure uh, that's painful for a lot of people. Uh, and by the way, the Braves are technically five, nine and two. They have oh, two yeah. ties already, which is a. Uh, Lots of fun. But anyway, uh, we kid, of course, and uh, that's not the top story of the day. And by the way, you know, most of this podcast, as I'm sure you know by clicking on it, is going to be a preview of the position players. So we, of course, did the bullpen first. We did the rotation last week. This week is the position players, and then we'll uh, sort of ramp things up the rest of March until opening day with, uh, hopefully, at least we have a plan in place that will hopefully be executed to do a three-man podcast to weigh in on our final predictions the week of opening day. But um, before we get to the stuff on the position players, there's a little bit of news that we need to tackle this week in addition to the 5-9 Braves. Um, the first roster cuts happened, and they came in like one and a half waves. The big one was Friday morning, and then they also sent uh, Jacob Nunn to minor league camp on Saturday. But Friday morning, you know, the biggest names that went away um, on Friday morning, Bryce Wilson, Jacob Webb, Huascar Yanoa, I have no idea how to say his name, still, um... And most of the kids went to minor league camp, including Kyle Muller, um, Bryce Ball, Braden Shoemake. Um, no huge surprises. Bryce Wilson is the only one that was like kind of an eyebrow raiser because you would have thought that, not that he was going to make the team necessarily, but that he would have been kind of around all the way to the end. That was the only one that really surprised me. Anything stand out to you about the guys who are no longer um, in the mix in terms of major league camp? No, you mentioned Bryce Wilson, who had a who had a pretty rough start. I think he ended up making two starts or appeared in two games and the results were not good. Again, you're not going to freak out over three or four spring training innings, but they were not good. 
Um, but you know, other than that, uh, Jacob Webb was somebody early in the spring who, you know, got some headlines and, uh, was pretty good last year before the shoulder injury got to him. And it sounds like he just needs some more time to build up his throwing strength, uh, because of the depth the Braves have in the bullpen. There's really no need to rush Webb, Even if he had an awesome spring, he's probably going to be a fringe 26 man roster candidate to begin with. So hopefully he's able to get healthy and, and, you know, ramp up. Cause I would imagine at some point this year, uh, health permitting, he'll be in the mix for the bullpen. Yeah, as we discussed on the bullpen preview, there's six guys that are basically locked in, and then there's two more spots potentially. Everyone, at least that is covering the team that I have read, is assuming that they're going to carry eight relievers to open the season. So if they do that, you know, there's two spots that are open and six absolute locks. And we'll come back, of course, to that later on. But we'll talk about that. you know, it's plenty of interest, plenty of interest there. But Jacob Webb will be, uh, he'll have a chance to come back, I'd imagine, if he pitches well. In the minors, um, that's like the only like hard and fast news that actually happened this week, unless I unless I missed something. But there was some stuff about Cole Hamels, and there was a little bit of buzz on the on the rotation. So if you want all of our thoughts, deeper thoughts anyway, on the rotation, go back to the last podcast. But some updated things here. First of all, Hamels went from potentially missing all of April, which was an update early in the week, until later in the week. Mark Bowman confronted the program mentioned the plan in his words is uh he thinks that Hamels might be out through the first half of May and I'm quoting there with the first half of May part so it's basically gone from mid-April to late April to mid-May in about a week and a half two weeks without really a huge change in his status so that's pretty interesting to me we'll stop there and I'll ask you what you think of this because you know we already talked about a little bit about you know Hamels being pushed back obviously but Mid-April and mid-May are uh, significantly different. It's only you know yeah. probably four starts, but those are four starts that you were uh, hoping to get from Cole Hamels. Yeah, I mean, the news seems to get worse by the day, which isn't what you necessarily want from a guy who you signed to a one-year deal. And I think you and I and most people liked the Hamels deal because it was that one-year deal at a reasonable dollar amount. But, of course, you run that risk whenever you bring on a guy his age uh, that he's going to have injury troubles. And in the last two seasons, he's had some injury problems now he's dealing with a shoulder issue, which is always a concern for a pitcher. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we were joking before. Um, you know, Bowman wrote it, interestingly enough, that the Braves have a plan for Hamels to be back in, in the middle of May. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. It almost feels like, and this is just me talking. I don't know if anyone else feels this way, but Uh-oh. it almost feels like, yeah, here we go. Here's my, <laughs> my deep state conspiracy. It, it kind of feels like, to me, the Braves might be intentionally slow playing Hamels almost as if this was the plan from the offset. Like they have this idea that they didn't necessarily think he was going to be able to give them 200 innings, but if he was going to be able to give them 20 or 25 starts this year, they would rather him be healthy and fresh down the stretch than in April and May because they have Felix Hernandez and, and Sean Newcomb and a couple of the kids who they could give a couple of starts to. Um, I could be totally off here, but if you want to go, you know, put on your, uh, your tinfoil hat, it wouldn't stun me if they've if they've kind of worked on something just to give these other guys a chance to start and then again hopefully keep Hamels healthy for the year. But regardless of what's going on, you do want to get him out there sooner rather than later because he will be uh, obviously a counted on piece of the rotation puzzle. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go as far as you do on this one, Scott. I'm sorry. I'm not going to go into okay. deep state conspiracy. But <laughs> I will say this: it it wouldn't make a lot of sense to me for them to take it extremely easy with Cole Hamels which is kind of what you're saying um, to some degree, I think. You know, I talk about this stuff all, all, all the time in other sports too, but with a guy who's older, 
you know, if there's any sign of weirdness there, they probably just need to chill out. And because you want Cole Hamels healthy for the long run, if you are the Braves, if you have playoff aspirations, absolutely. Obviously, every game matters here, but um, I would always push uh, some caution, especially in March and April with a veteran who probably doesn't need to have the full ramp up that other guys might have to have. Um, And at the end of the day, you probably don't want him to be in a perfect world. You'd rather have your three better pitchers be your playoff pitchers, but you know, it's also be nice to have Cole Hamels as a, as a playoff option in, in October, if he's pitching well. And, uh, that's, that's something that you want to prioritize. So if there's any weirdness at all, take it easy on him. It's not the greatest sign in the world. I will say just candidly, you don't want to have a guy be pushed back. Um, even if not officially pushed back, but just kind of the buzz around him pushed back twice in about a two week span. You don't love that, but I'm okay with being cautious about Cole Hamels because he is an older established guy who yeah. you want to, you want to uh, sort of trust his body and see what he's got for you. So I'm all right. It's just a uh, sort of a red flag, not not a huge one, but certainly something to, that we had to talk yeah, about. It's enough to concern. Yeah, it's enough to be concerned about on on March eighth, right? I mean, I guess we'll see where we're at in a month. If he's still not throwing in another month, I think we really have a problem. And it's, yes. oh man, maybe maybe that shoulder really does have problems. And as they say, Father Time is is undefeated. But uh, hopefully, it's they are just slow playing him, as you said, conspiracy or not. Um, <laughs> they're just wanting to get him ready for. Uh, you know, for the middle of, of May or whenever it may be. Speaking of father time, Scott, and a nice transition here to Felix Hernandez, um, Mark Bowman, again, front of the program, I'm going to read a sentence that he wrote this week. I think it was on Friday that this posted. If Hernandez remains healthy over the remainder of camp, I would expect him to win one of the two available rotation spots, end quote. Now, that's that's an expect and an opinion, obviously, for Bowman. He's not reporting that he's going to, but he's expecting it. And... um. While I'm not terribly surprised by this, he's not on the 40-man right now, so you have to add him to the 40-man if you if you were to make it out of camp. Um, he's been okay so far in the, in the spring. Um, you know, I don't want to take too much from that, frankly, because he's been pretty bad the last couple of years. But you know, what what does that sentence make you feel like? Because I'm not blown away by it, but it does. It, it, for, at least according to the reporting here, it feels like Hernandez is like the pretty clear number four right now by the buzz. I'm mm-hmm. not sure that's the case or not, but it does feel that way to me. No, it does. And I think, you know, he, as you said, he's pitched pretty well, but he really has not faced even close to big league competition. His first two starts were against, I want to say, like the B squads for the Orioles and the Tigers, two teams that even their A squads aren't great. So you can imagine what the B squads are like. Um, <laughs> and then he, I, I want to say it was the Rays, maybe, who he faced in his third start this past week. And he was okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I think because you have Hamels up in the air a little bit, you don't get the sense that the Braves, at least my sense is, they aren't actively rooting for Kyle Wright. It's not like they need a Kyle Wright to win this job right away. Like They don't have any other option. Um, I think that for a million dollars, even if even if they decide that King Felix is going to be the fifth starter, the fourth starter, whatever you want to call it, even if he only makes like three starts, four starts for him, and it just isn't working, they're at a million dollars and they can cut their losses pretty easily. So because there's that, there's that minimal financial risk there. If he pitches poorly over three starts in April, I mean, if, if you need to remember what the Braves rotation was like at times in April and May last year, <laughs> you know, go take a look, right. Yeah. It's not like they have to have their locked in, you know, best case scenario rotation right from the beginning. You certainly want it to be good. Don't get me wrong, but um, I do think because there's such a minimal financial risk and you can easily manipulate, especially at the beginning of the year, you can manipulate your 40-man roster pretty easily as everybody else is. 
Um, I, I think it's probably worth it for a million dollars to see what he does. Maybe he's a, a fine number five and he ends up making however many starts for him. And if it's just not working after a few weeks, uh, maybe they do opt to throw in a Kyle Wright or a Tuki Toussaint, Bryce Wilson, somebody like that, and they just cut their losses. Yeah, I mean, as much as I have acknowledged, we've said a couple times, and it's worth pointing out again, that Felix has been bad recently. The Rays have had some pretty decent success on these reclamation projects kind of guys. Um in recent years, it's not always foolproof. Some guys don't work out, but, you know, your Anibal Sanchez's, for instance, like those guys sometimes work. I'm not expecting that from Felix, but it's it's in it's a possibility. And the 40-man consideration, it matters, and it's worth pointing out, and people just kind of gloss over it sometimes, and it's worth pointing out. But like you said, it's pretty easy to create the spots if they need to do that. For instance, in that same piece of, of uh, reporting from Bowman, um, he was talking about Charlie Culberson as a potential guy to carry, which is not a huge surprise, but Charlie Culberson is currently on a minor league deal, so he's not on the 40-man roster, and if they want to carry Felix and Culberson, which seems very possible to me, they do have two kind of logical spots. Grant Dayton's been pretty bad. He's on, he's on the 40-man, and he's expected to maybe not make the cut because he's been so bad in spring training, and then Jeremy Walker is hurt, and he was mentioned as a 60-day DL candidate, which would open up a spot. So, it's not like it's that difficult to create that room if they want to do that. And because of the Hamels injury, there's a little bit more room because if they, even if they wanted to go with Newcomb and we'll talk about that in a second, Felix can kind of just, you know, you can kind of give him the, the Hamels spot for four sure. or five weeks. And if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and the downside is fairly minimal. I mean, you, yeah. you would you'd probably lose some games if, he, if he's bad, but you know, it's only probably two, three, four games in that spot, and you're not going to lose all of them probably anyway. So, Well, and if he's on the back end, not to go too deep on the schedule here, but if if I want to say whoever the fifth starter is is going to see San Diego in Petco, which is about as favorable as it gets for a, you know, a pitcher, and then I think he'd be at home against the Marlins on opening weekend in Atlanta. You can usually skip then, guys too. Like, I mean – there's usually an extra off day or two. I probably I actually don't have it in front of me, so I might be wrong on this. But usually in April, there's a spot or two where you can skip a fifth starter, sure. and yeah. they might want to do that if he's not like yeah. the most confident guy in the world. But honestly, he might be the four, as I said, as I said before. Yeah. Like he might not be the guy that they skip, frankly, um, yeah. because the other spot is uh, up in the air as well. And even if we want to pencil in Felix for one of them, uh, Bowman wrote that he believes. Sean Newcomb and Felix Hernandez are the most likely candidates to fill the two yeah. vacancies. Um, it seems to be, at least by the reporting, down to Newcomb versus Wright, um, which isn't a huge surprise by anyone. Um, Newcomb was good today, by the way, on Sunday in his start. I have uh, said ad nauseum that I think Newcomb is better as a reliever, but also, I've said this too, but I'll say it again now, I think he probably is the guy that I would trust of the three to get outs right now in the major leagues. So... I kind of I kind of see all sides here. I'd probably go with Wright just to try it, but uh, Newcomb is safer, I would imagine, and yeah, sure. it seems to be leaning that way. Yeah, and I think now that um, you know Newcomb has found a, a little more consistency throwing strikes ever since he shifted in that bullpen role. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if anyone's necessarily projecting him for for thirty starts next year. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't, but. I do think I agree with you that he's probably the safest. So regardless of who wins, you're right. There are generally some off days 
Um, although there aren't a ton in like the first week or two, just no. because the Braves are on the West Coast, which is kind of nice. You don't have to worry as much about uh, weather. Kind of nice for who, Scott? I think maybe you and nobody else. <sighs> You're nobody not looking else forward to the the ten o'clock first pitches in San Diego. I am. I actually, um, I actually don't mind as much as a lot of people do because I am usually up very late doing other things. But I know there is definitely a segment of Braves fans that hates oh, sure. those games because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they have to because they go to bed. Yeah, no, I would too. I mean, if the Braves were in uh, Hawaii and the game started at 10 o'clock out here, I wouldn't be thrilled about it. So, yeah, um, alas. But anyway, uh, regardless of who the four and five is, we just said last year the Braves rotation really didn't hit its form. I mean, arguably until the middle of the summer when Mike Fultonevich started to figure it out a bit. But, you know, again, you, you don't want to just pencil games as a loss or, you know, just pump them. But if, if they do feel like they can trust Newcomb and, and, you at least want to see if Felix has figured something out. As you said, the Braves have been pretty good in recent years of just kind of resurrecting guys, even if it's not to the Anibal Sanchez level, even if he's serviceable for a month and a half until Hamels gets back and then you shift gears um, for a million bucks. And, and as your fifth starter, I think you can do a lot worse. Yeah. And by the way, it's a spring training sample and I don't care necessarily, but Sean Newcomb in three starts in the spring, Nine innings total, eight hits, two runs, two walks, eleven strikeouts. That's kind of what you want to see. Yeah, um, not bad. I mean, I, I don't, I don't care as much as that might seem, but I would care if he was bad. If that makes sense, like it would be a little bit more alarming if he was yeah. walking the ballpark and he's not, not done that. Yep. If he so, if he had seven walks and in nine innings, it's like no, this isn't. We're not doing this again. But, so yeah, it's not it's not like a confirmation that he's going to be good, but it's not the red flag of him being bad. So that's a little thing to point out. He has been pretty good. He was good today. And, uh, you know, if I was a betting man and I, I trust Mark Bowman pretty, uh, pretty confidently, it seems like barring some weirdness, it's probably going to be Newcomb and, uh, Felix in some order to open the season. And uh, we'll see what happens to Kyle Wright. Cause I think Kyle Wright will be in a rotation at some point this year. That is not a uh, hot take because usually there's an injury somewhere or somebody gets skipped or someone's been bad. I think Kyle Wright, even if he's not open the season, I think he'll be in a rotation at some point. So, yeah, me too. There's no rush. I mean, if you, if you send Wright down to Gwinnett, even if it's for a couple of weeks, and if, if Felix makes a couple of starts and it's not good and Hamels isn't ready, you can bring Wright up. He's already on the 40-man, yep. right? So you just bring him up, and, and it's not – you talk about kind of the, the never-ending. It's It kind of reminds me of the Jose Batista experiment in 2018. They brought him. They tried him at third base. It didn't work. After about three weeks, they booted him and gave the job to Johan Camargo. It's, it's, it's certainly not apples to apples there, but as we know, these things go by the day, and – you can st- suddenly make a change whenever you need to. And because I mentioned these stats for Newcomb and, and Felix, I'm going to mention Kyle Wright's stats to be fair. Eight and a third innings, five hits, two runs, two, two walks, and 12 strikeouts. So he actually has the best numbers of the three um, in terms of like whip and batting average allowed, etc. I don't really care, but again, a good data point and not a bad data point. He did have on the right on the right front. It is fair. A couple of people pointed this out. He started out last spring really well and then faded poorly yep. over the last few weeks. And everyone was kind of thinking he might even be in the rotation mix. And then he had a bad uh, end of spring. And then his first half in the minors wasn't great. And then he kind of found himself later on in the year. Granted, he did make a couple of starts for the Braves in April out of sheer necessity. But um, as we said, there's no if he's not on the in the rotation on. Uh, March 28th or whatever early day opening day is this year. It's not like you're you're not going to get them this year. No, I think we're uh, okay on that front. All right, Scott, that's all the news for now. And uh, it's, it goes without saying, but we will definitely keep tracking 
all of the stuff and in our podcast podcast or two before opening day after this one we will update everybody on the position battles and the roster battles etc cetera, etc cetera. but um for now we'll, we'll leave it there and after a short break we will come back and preview all the all the position players on the roster so hold on tight hi i'm neil patel host of decoder my show about big ideas and other problems Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smart Water Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. All right, Scott, let us dive in to the position players. Um, as a note, we mentioned it earlier, but there are 26-man rosters now, so keep that in mind through all this stuff. Um, I've been laying this stuff out for each position group, so I'm going to do it again here. This is how the Braves ranked last season in position player metrics. They were 7th in Major League Baseball in Fangraph's war. That's pretty good. They were ninth overall in Fangraph's offensive metric overall. They were tied for ninth in WRC+, and they were 7th in defense. So they were top 10 in basically everything in terms of their position players last season. A lot of that, of course, driven by the top 3 or 4 guys, but still, the overall product was pretty good. And, just for the record, for 2020, Fangraphs projects the Braves to finish 7th in position player war. So, not top 5, but still pretty darn good, strongly above average, and uh, sets the stage a little bit for what this group's going to look like. Before we get into the actual players, how do you feel broadly about this group? Because, I, I at least I'm on record as saying the bullpen is the group that I have the most confidence in. But if you look at the position, at the position players... You know, most of the metrics still like them. Uh, again, most of that, I would say, is driven by Freeman, Acuna, and Albies. But, you know, that that's okay. Teams can work when they are star-driven. As long as the stars are good, that model can work. Yeah, I think the upside is here with this roster. I'm not sure it's going to be necessarily as good as last year. But I also think there's a path for it to almost be even better than last year. And you look at this... At, at the positions, and as long as, of course, as we say almost every podcast, they have to have healthy years from Freddie, Ozzy, and Acuna. Um, but there's just a wide range. You know, Travis Darno had a great year last year for uh, you know kind of a resurgence in as uh, in his late 20s. You know, if he repeats what he did last year, I think the Braves are in really good shape at catcher. Who knows? You know, Dansby was having a great year, and then he gets hurt. Can he stay healthy? Marcelo Zuna has been a bit of a, a wild card. He's been fairly consistent, although I think everyone is hoping that he kind of hits that next level on his new one-year deal. So there, there's a wide range of outcomes here at a handful, maybe even half of the positions, not to even mention the third base situation. What are you going to get from those couple guys? Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, I think there's a, a chance for this to be one of the best units in the National League. Um, I also think there's a chance that if Dansby gets hurt and if Darno proves last year was more of a one-year fluke and Marcelo Zuna is a little up and down, you know, I also think you could have a, a more of a middle of the pack, which – um, as we saw last year, can can certainly uh, hold the team back down the stretch how the offense really started to falter. So um, that is my long-winded way of saying I think they could be good, but there are certainly some question marks uh, throughout the lineup. Yeah. Um, you know, candidly, I have faith in four guys to be above-average hitters. Like, faith. Full-blown faith. And that's, of course, the big three. And I think Ozuna is uh, more than likely going to be an above-average hitter. Um, everybody else... I would say a lot of these guys are capable of it, but uh, not one that I would project flat out. But with the defense, the couple guys bring, you know, your Dansby's, your Enders, and uh, some of the supporting roles, the catcher spots, pretty gonna be pretty solid. I think it'll be it'll be okay. I think there is some upside, as you mentioned. There's also some downside because if you get uh, any injury to any of your big three or four guys, you're probably in some trouble, um, or uh, maybe even a slump on any of those guys, or a bad year out of one of those guys, and you're probably in some trouble. But the stars and scrubs model in terms of the offense, and if you're a fantasy baseball player, you will know, you will know what that means. Um, that's kind of what's in play here. We will dive into the positions now. Um, catcher first, and you know we are very pro Braves catchers on this podcast. The last few years, I think we've always pointed out that the last several years in a row, the Braves have had like top ten catching production um, in a very underrated way. Um, that is Tyler Flowers for a lot of it. It's also Kurt Suzuki for a lot of it. Last year was okay as well. Um, this year, they project 10th in Major League Baseball in Fangraphs 4, and that is pretty good for a position where you don't you don't have a star, obviously, but you have two competent players projected to get basically all the plate appearances. You mentioned Darno before. Um, we'll start with him first. He's 31 years old, so he's not like a spring chicken necessarily, but a guy who had his best year in four years last year um, in 103 games that was actually worth one, one and a half Fangraphs war. was a league average hitter or so, 98 WC+. If he can just do that again, that would be huge. I'm not sure if he can, but um, my, <laughs> I would say my constant motto with the catcher spot is, um, you know, remember how bad catcher is across Major League Baseball. That's something I always point out, and I'll do it again here. These guys may not have impressive numbers when, when compared to like Freddie Freeman, but sure. if you compare them to catchers around the league, it should be fun. Should be. Um, yeah, I mean, Darno was somebody who notoriously bounced around from team to team and then stuck with the Rays and you mentioned his 98 WRC plus as a whole, but he was at 107 with the Rays. He was hitting, I think yep. he batted cleanup for them actually in their wild card game. Yeah, he was good. Um, he was good late last year. Yeah, he was. I mean, he he was really good. So, if, you know, you talk about the wide range of outcomes. If the Braves get the Tampa Bay Travis Darno and he can stay healthy, I think that does worlds. For, I mean, it, it makes such a, a world of a difference for this lineup uh, as far as, you know, extending it beyond those four big hitters that you talked about. Um, because we saw last year, Tyler Flowers did not have a great year. And why I mentioned that is you feel like Darno is going to be asked to carry more than 50% of the, the load. Um, you know, as you said, he's 31, somebody who had a lot of prospect pedigree coming up. Um, he had a lot of injuries too. He actually had a couple of good years with the Mets, uh, like in 2014, 2015, and then the injuries started to hit, and he was kind of lost for a few years. But again, if you can get the guy who is even close to what he was last year, especially with Tampa, uh, I think you're in pretty good shape. The Braves obviously liked him to give him a two-year, $16 million deal. Um, and if you imagine he's going to make 60% of the starts or so, uh, he does mash lefties. So I would imagine he is just about an automatic start against lefties. 
Uh, last year, I think he had like a 135 WRC plus against left-handed pitching. Granted, there's not a ton of lefties out uh, in the National League right now, but they exist. Uh, they they do see them. Yeah, sure. And the you know two out of every ten starts or whatever it's going to be, I would think he would be an automatic start in those games. Yeah, and you know you mentioned Flowers. Let's talk about him a little bit now. Obviously, I think it's kind of funny. Um, the fan base has seemingly turned on Flowers in a pretty significant way. And I get it to some degree because if you watch him on the wrong day and he's dropping the ball and not hitting, I, I get it. Um, with that said, if you look at all of the advanced metrics, Flowers was still a pretty good player last year. His framing is uh, very good. It's not a small thing. And I know like there's this huge pushback, especially with what I would call traditional fans, to say that he's a terrible fielder now because he drops the ball sometimes. But he's still one of the best framers in the league. He's given credit for that. Probably too much credit. If, I, if I'm being honest, that, that's, why, that's how I feel about it. I think he's probably given a little bit too much credit on his framing. But at the very least, he was a semi-competent hitter last year. An 88 WRC plus at catcher is not great, but it's certainly not terrible for a split for a split position catcher. That's just fine. And then defensively, you know, is he great anymore? Probably not. But is he bad? No, he's just not. I mean, if you factor in yeah. framing, he's not a bad catcher. He's just not. So. No. He's older too. I think the days of him having back-to-back, uh, you know, awesome offensive seasons, his first two years in Atlanta, are gone. But if he is the forty percent half of your catching platoon, that's better than basically any team has in that role, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. I mean, framing is the name of the game with Flowers, and it's not a small one, right? I mean, he's the guy catching the ball for nine innings, and you want him to steal strikes, and he does a really good job at that. You know, otherwise. He's not great. He he had I think the third <laughs> the third slowest pop time. Uh, to oh, he can't, yeah, he can't he can't throw he can't I mean, throw anyone out. What it is. Um, and you're right, the pass balls. I think the pass balls are probably more of a product of him just trying to steal strikes, right? I think he had um, the yips last year for a minute too. Like yeah. that that happened. I'm not I'm not downplaying it because if you watch those games, I I totally get why you'd be frustrated. But I mean, there's a reason why nationally he's considered like he's like the gold standard that everyone mentions for framing. Like he's not the only guy like that, but I think if you mm-hmm. read stories and listen to people talk about baseball beyond the Braves, Flowers is like the first guy that gets mentioned when it comes to being an elite framer. He's that yeah. good at it. Year in and year out. I mean, it is. And those stats are not a perfect by any means, but he is. He's consistently near the top of the boards. Um, you mentioned offensively. The one concern last year was a huge increase in strikeouts. Yep. He was a guy who struck out about 25% of the time his first three years with the Braves. That number shot to 34% last year. Um, you know, he did continue to hit for a little bit of power, hit 11 homers, even with the juiced ball. Um, again, 229, 319, 413 line. Um, so not terrible, not great, as you said, but hopefully Darno is able to carry some more of the weight. Um, it's also worth mentioning this. I feel like it's overlooked. I cannot imagine catching in the Atlanta summer for however many days and nights. I mean, you can imagine, I mean, I have to tell people listening to this podcast, how hot and humid it gets. You imagine doing that behind a plate on a in a you know in a giant stadium with a bunch of gear on. Nope. You can only imagine <laughs> what that does to one's body times eighty plus starts a year. So, um, you know, I, I guess it's always worth mentioning. There's a reason the Braves do this platoon thing at catcher. They know just how physically demanding it is. Um, and again, if if you get a decent year out of Flowers, again, he's not making any money. Uh, he's on a one year deal. He just turned thirty four. Uh, but if he can be steady, I think that's all you really ask for. Yeah, it's possible that he's just done. That That's not impo- – whenever you get to your mid-30s, you know, a downturn is always in the cards. So I'm not telling you that he's going to be good. But if he's just the same guy he was last year, which I know is uninspiring, 
I can't begin to tell you how much better that is as your quote unquote backup catcher than most teams have. So just take take that take that grain of salt with it whenever you watch Tyler Flowers and get frustrated <laughs> around the around the season. Yeah. Um, let's go to first base before we do a two hour podcast. Um, Freddie Freeman, this is a pretty easy one. Freddie Freeman is a star. He is still a star. Um, we are now at one, two, three, seven consecutive seasons for Freeman with at least a 132 WRC+. Plus. Uh, he's a star. I- I'm not sure how to say it. Otherwise, he had his career high in home runs and runs scored and RBIs and slugging, uh, sorry, and ISO last year. So basically, uh, he's really good at baseball. Um, and by the way, ISO is not right. I read that wrong. But um, RBIs, runs, and home runs, I don't really care about RBIs, but they exist. Um, Freddie is, was incredible last season at the plate. No big surprise there. And hopefully he can continue that and not be hurt because we I don't want to litigate that again. We will skip that on this podcast about all the Freddie stuff and his injury. But pre-injury last year, he was excellent. We know he was bad in the playoffs, but no reason to believe anything about him other than the fact that he's going to be a star again in 2020. Yeah, amen. I mean, there's a great baseball player. Hope he's healthy. Hope the elbow help, holds up. <laughs> I hope they give him a little, bit, a couple of days off just to maintain it during the. the Every long once in a while, it would be good. I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Freddie, you know, the the track record speaks for itself. He's a truly elite hitter at the plate. He has been for seven years now, as you talked about. So yeah, hopefully I mean, he's, he's ready to rock. And yeah, he's one of the best players in the league. Frankly, like he's not Mike Trout, but you wouldn't get to twenty before you get to Freeman in the entire league. Um, in my opinion. So yeah, no doubt. He's Easy. very, he's very good. Um, one question I have on this before we move on is, uh, who backs him up? If Freddie misses 20 games, who plays first base is a actual question. Like they're not going to ever carry a pure backup first baseman for obvious reasons. Freddie plays basically every day and it's a pretty easy position to play, but, uh, I'll just ask the question to you, uh, just to make sure that we get it out there. I would assume Nick Markakis. I think Mark Bowman actually talked about this a little bit in his mailbag. Uh, I, I mean, I would assume Markakis. It's a position that kind of makes sense. Um, he, he has. He's done it before. Yeah, he he has a limited capacity. I mean, is he ready over there? No, um, but I think he can give you enough over there. I, I guess Austin Riley, if he was, if they needed him, yeah, uh, Riley could do. It. I mean, even if he makes the roster, Charlie Colbert. I mean, truly, just about anybody other than maybe like Ozzy Hobbies because of his height could be at first base. <laughs> I, would, uh, I would love to watch that. That would be that would be fun. Five, yeah, five foot seven, Ozzy Hobbies at first base. And by the way, five um, five I seven mean, is charitable on Ozzy Hobbies. Yeah, 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 love Ozzy, love you, buddy. Um, but yeah, I mean the backup first base thing—it's—it's it's kind of funny. And we've said before, if if Freddie misses any significant amount of time, the Braves have bigger issues. So, yeah, I mean it—it uh, it only matters if he really does get hurt for a while, which has happened. You know, 2017 he missed 45 games. If he—if yeah, that happens, that I'll, I'll say this: if, if he misses a long time, I'd go—I'd probably go with Riley, just because of the power that you're going to need. I mean, Marquez would be my backup option like in a pinch. If Freddie needs a day off, just start Marquez at first. That's totally fine. I think if you knew that it was like a two-month injury, I would probably throw Riley over there and just pray that it, that he figures it out. Um, yeah, you're just, so. the, pow- the power loss would be so big without having that guy in the middle of the lineup. And Riley's a good enough athlete. I mean, we saw him yeah. in left field last year, and he handled it fine, um, especially after you know a few reps out there. So. Um, Hopefully it doesn't come to that, but thankfully at first base, it is probably the easiest position to fill in on an interim basis. So Yes. And Camargo, Camargo can play there too. There's there's several guys that can play there. Um, okay, that was 
too long on Freddie Freeman. The last thing I'll say is that um, Fangraphs projects the Braves first in Major League Baseball and Fangraphs wore at first base. That means Freddie Freeman is projected as the best first baseman in Major League Baseball, which yeah. I'm fine with, by the way. I think it's yeah. probably right, frankly. Okay. I think so. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, second base, Ozzy Albies. Um, he's not, doesn't have the, quite the track record of Freddie Freeman, but he, um, you know, is very good. Spoiler alert, he is uh, the main reason why the Braves are projected to be second in Major League, in Major League Baseball, uh, according to Fangraphs at second base, and it's because of Ozzy. He's the primary guy there, only behind Jose Altuve. Get your jokes off here about the Astros, if you'd Buzz. like to. Um, but uh, Albies is also awesome. Like, he's, I guess, slightly less safe than Freddie, because he's only done it for, you know, a fraction of the time of Freddie, but even if he somehow regressed to his 2018 self, which I don't exactly envision, that player was still really, really good, and he was even better than that last year. Yeah, I mean, I think Ozzy almost gets overlooked because he's so good, so consistent, but you know, you're you're sandwiched between Ronald Acuna and Freddie Freeman and last year Donaldson. Um, yeah, I think it went under the radar. I didn't realize that he led the National League in hits last year. Um, you know, talk about a one-team WRC+. Plus. He was much more consistent. Of course, he, in 2018, had the great start, then faded. I think everyone was a little worried that was going to happen again, and, and he was quite good in the second half again. Um, 24 homers for the second year in a row. Again, he's, he's he increased his walk rate from 5.3% to 7.7%, which is an encouraging sign. Lowered his strikeouts even a little bit, too. Um, he did have about a 40-point spike in his uh, BABIP on um, – you know, so there's some luck there, but I think with I'm his not sure speed, there is, honestly, though. Yeah, like, no, I, I do too. I think 325 is more his speed than what yeah. 285 is. I yeah. was gonna say 285 with with the way that he runs felt low, and you know, not everything is created equal there. And Ozzy hits the ball in the air more than you think he would hit the ball in the air for someone mm-hmm. of his size. But you know, I think 325 bad is like pretty normal. I'm not worried about that much. Yeah. And the on base jump was the big thing for me between you know walking two and a half percent more and the batting average going up a little bit. Him posting a 350 OBP is more than enough. And yeah. I think there's probably room even beyond, even beyond that, honestly. So, yeah. I don't know. Well, and it doesn't hurt. I mean, again, you're, you're sandwiched between Acuna and, and Freddie. You're going to get some good pitches to hit. I mean, it's it's about as good of a spot as there is for a hitter, right? I mean, you're, yeah, that that's not... That's not an, uh, you know, buried low where they're going to just kind of throw you junk and hope you swing at it. And then if, if you don't, they're going to walk in and bring the pitcher up. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, Ozzy's, he's, again, he's certainly, uh, you know, around the game, he's recognized as a great second base. And I'm not saying he's, you know, he, he deserves more credit or respect. But I think on last year's team, he was maybe a little underrated. And, yep. um, again, they're going to really count on him. We keep talking about these, you know, of course, the big three at the top. And then hopefully Ozuna adds and make, becomes a, a big four. Um, but yeah, love Ozzy guys just so easy. I mean, he's seriously like, uh, from a, a pure fan perspective, he has to be one of the more likable Braves of the last decade. Would you agree with that? Yeah. He's a lot of fun. There's no reason to not like him. Like he's, you know, the, the height thing plays into it too. The fact that he's so small and hits for so much power and just plays as well as he does at basically everything. There's not a lot of weaknesses there for Ozzy. By the way, all of the projection systems have him between a four and five win player. Um, that's really good for anyone, but he just turned 23. Uh, he's really good. I mean, to your point, I think he got lost in shuffle last year, particularly because Donaldson was pretty famous and obviously played very well. And then, of course, you have Freeman and Acuna. I think Ozzy very clearly now is the third best player on the team. Um, he's better than Azuna, 
pretty pretty confidently. Whereas Donaldson, you could have made the argument for Donaldson last year, and Donaldson had the track record and was an MVP, et cetera, et cetera. Ozzie now gets should get more shine. If he's the same guy he was last year, he'll get some more attention, I would imagine, and rightfully so. He's a star. I mean, he's not Mike Trout again, but he's a full-fledged all-star, I think probably annually for quite some time now, unless something goes wrong. Um, he's just been that good. Even if you factor in a little bit of regression, which I'm not even sure you need to do from last year at the plate, his defense, his speed, and his bat, you know, you just get enough to be a four-win player, and that's basically a star. Just what it is. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I mean, really, as you said, I mean, the I don't want to say it's all gravy because, again, they are going to count on his bat, but, I mean, the defense is really strong. We know how quick he is and what kind of, you know, he can change the game on the base paths and, you know, the added power from a guy his size at second base is, is just a huge added bonus. So, yeah, love Ozzy. Should be another good year. I think there's even room for him to grow, you know, to, to really surpass um, Altuve as the game's best second baseman. If we're talking in a year that um, Ozzy has now become the, you know, is kind of widely regarded as the game's best second baseman, I don't, that doesn't seem crazy to me, um, which is really remarkable to say about a guy who's going to play all of this season at age 23. So, um yeah, it should be a should be a great year. The Braves are going to need him, and um, there's no reason to think he's not about to have another great year. Strong agree. All right, we'll move on from there. Shortstop is a spot. It's one of the two spots that people worry about on this team. I think um, there are only two spots. Looking ahead a little bit here, that Fangraphs projects the Braves to be strongly below average, and they are shortstop and third base. Um, shortstop is at least we know who's going to play there most of the time, unless he gets injured or something drastically bad happens, but. Um, and even in that projection, Nancy Swanson is projected for like 90% of the plate appearances at shortstop. It's just that no one is sure if Dansby's going to hit. I think we know he's going to be able to field and do a pretty good job there. He is young enough. He's still 26 where the bat can come a little bit. And we saw a little bit of that last year. It was still his best year overall at the plate. Um, but his, de- his defensive metrics fell off a little bit from the previous year. I'm not sure what to make of, of Dansby, honestly, because I feel like last year, wasn't his best. And if you assume that, you know, he was a one and a half war player, according to Fangraphs, that is not a disaster, but it is not a spot where you feel abundant confidence. So, uh, honestly, I'm just, I'll just be candid. He's the, he's kind of the guy that I have the hardest time figuring out what to project with, even though I think we know about the defense being pretty good and the offense being not great. It's just kind of where you peg the offense is where everyone comes down to on Dansby is like, do you think he can be a league average hitter or not? It's basically the calculus here. Cause if he's a league average hitter, he's a starter for sure. And he's like a two and a half, three, one, three, one player. If he's not that, then he's always someone that you're going to want to uh, probably have better from. I don't know. It's, it's kind of a weird spot. Yeah. I mean, he, he's, <clears throat> it feels like a big year for Dansby and yeah. what his future holds. We've seen time and time again, that he has shown he can be an er- absolute, bona fide every single day shortstop on a winning team um and you know you look at last year right and he had the heel injury <clears throat> that was bugging him for a few weeks and it's easy to forget because his second half was so poor but on from opening day until the end of june so basically half of the season um he hit 270 with a 332 obp a 483 slugging percentage, which is strong. Oh, yeah. Um, 107 WRC plus. He had 15 homers. Um, you know, he was on pace for career highs across the board. I mean, he was on a 25 or 30 home run pace. And we always felt like Dansby had that in him. It just never was consistent. Um, and then, of course, you know, it's always kind of been the Dansby Swanson story. Then he got hurt. And then the second half of the year, he had a 65 WRC plus 
uh, from the time he aggravated his heel injury in the early July to the end of the year. Uh, he did have a really good playoff. I think that's worth mentioning and, and kind of turned it on. seemed like he found, kind of found his groove. Um, but it's just going to come down to one, if he can stay healthy, because, you know, if, with his defense, as you said, if he can be the guy he was in the first half of last year, over 150 games, you're looking at a three and a half or four win shortstop, uh, which, you know, you don't need to listen to the Talking Chop podcast to know how valuable that is. So, <laughs> um, you know, who knows, though? It's, it's you want to believe you want to think he's, this is the year that he turns it all together and, and really kind of emerges as a, you know, a top 12 shortstop in the game. But because seemingly every year there's been some kind of injury, he had the heel injury, I think he had the wrist injury, um, something always seems to bother him. And, you know, it's, at this point, it's, it's happened more than more than once. And it just can't be discounted that he isn't going to get hurt again in 2020. Yeah, it's a big thing with, with Dansby. And, you know, he's not as young as he used to be. He's 26. It's not old. But, you know, the I think it's telling that there's basically no hype nationally anymore about about Dansby Swanson. That doesn't mean that it can't happen still. But, you know, former number one overall pick, you'd think there would be a lot of more buzz about him, but I think that kind of happened last year, and then people felt burned by it because it just didn't all the way happen for him. But to your point, he was pretty darn good for, you know, three-fifths of the season last year. So if he can kind of put that together, you can't project that. That's something I will say right now. You, In my opinion, you cannot project him to be a strongly above-average hitter. Like, I think it's optimistic to even have him be average. For instance, the projection systems... Steamer has him at a 90 WRC+. Plus. Zips has him at 87. That seems right to me as a projection. Can he be better than that? Sure he can. Um, we've seen him be better than that um, for stretches of time. But, you know, I, my question, I guess, to end this section on Dansby is, if he just repeats last year, is he still going to be the guy that has the job the following year? Does that make sense? Like, he probably will be because it's, uh... he's so cheap and all that stuff. But... Eventually, if he just keeps doing the exact same thing, which is like a a war between one and two, the calls for him to be replaced for, with someone yeah. better will be coming. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he is no, so cheap that it won't matter. I, I don't think for another year, probably, because the Braves like those cost control guys, and I think he's still like a borderline starter, even with even if he's been the last couple of years. He's not. You could do worse, but you could also do better. <laughs> so it's you can like, do a lot better. Yeah. yeah, for a team that's trying to win the World Series, I mean, you look at it; it's seemingly for however many years now. I mean, the World Series content winner like always has a pretty good shortstop, right? Like, can you win a, a World Series with Dansby Swanson as your everyday shortstop? I don't know. Maybe you can. Um, this feels like a big year for him. Uh, you know, to answer your question, would it be a s- total surprise that in a year we're doing this position player podcast and Dansby's not the shortstop anymore? I, I don't think that'd be impossible to think about. Whereas if we said, is there any chance that Ozzy Albies is in the Braves' second baseman next year? We'd say uh, no. We'd say no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, unless, and by the way, unless he's playing shortstop, which I can't imagine. <laughs> right. That, 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 was, that, was, that was a shout out to Eric Cole, who I know is listening to this there podcast and always grills me about Ozzy playing yeah. shortstop. But yeah, I'm with you. It's not, I'm not projecting that by any means. It's just something that you have to start thinking about if he does not make a, sure. a jump. Because this this will be year this will be his fourth full season, mm-hmm. and you know part of the uh, part of the previous seasons before that. So this is a guy that already has almost 1,800 plate appearances in the major leagues. Yeah, with an eighty one WRC plus. That's I mean, good. It, it's it's kind of like the walks issue with Newcomb. It's like at some point you have to say either he's not going to walk guys or he is. You know, either Dansby's going to hit or he isn't. And, and this feels like a big year. This for is that. a big year for that. I would I would totally agree. Um, quickly here. 
the backup infielders that the, that the Braves have, I feel like we should talk about them for a second. You have Danny Echeverria, you have Charlie Culberson, who we mentioned before, and then I guess you have Yangirvis Salarte if you wanted to. Um, do you expect them to carry two of them? I think Hetch is kind of a lock to make the team. Yeah. Um, Culberson feels nearing a lock because they just love him so much. Um, does that seem kind of what you think too? I, I would bet on Salarte so. not making it, but he's he's around and he's a major league player, so I have to at least bring him up. Yeah, I think so. I, I think because you have that 26th man now. Uh, yeah. I mean, Charlie Culberson feels like he was built to be the 26th man. I was going to say, they, they might as well rename that the Culberson, the Culberson spot, because that's what's Seriously. going to happen. Seriously. Yeah. yeah, it really <laughs> does. And, it, and I mean, it does. And if, if all of a sudden... He can pitch? And I'll get... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's, a, he's the emergency... Uh, I think he's even a... I think he's the emergency catcher too. Am I, or maybe that was Donaldson last year. No, I think, I think Culberson has been that at some point. I'm not sure if he will be now, but I think he has certainly been in that role at some point along the way. They've said, if the world ends, you'll see Culberson and catcher. It's like, all right, well, that's fine. Absolute last case scenario. But yeah, so, you know, as you said, he's, he's very well beloved and Thopolis is a big believer in the clubhouse culture and all that. And I mean, if there were like obvious candidates who are better in a, you know, baseball sense, but again, They're you're not. talking about a guy barring just complete devastation of the roster with injuries. I mean, it's hard to imagine Charlie Culberson making more than like, I don't know, 10 starts next year. Well, at you, you, most. Say, you say that until you remember who the manager is, but <laughs> no, um, no, yeah. I'm with you 100%. He he is built for that 26-man spot where he can play almost anywhere. He won't play a lot, and there's some value in what he can bring. And he's, of course, hit the ball better than I th- than we ever thought he was going to hit, honestly, at times um, with some clutch stuff. So I think it's well, fine. He can play anywhere, too. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's the biggest thing, honestly, is that he can play anywhere. That's the yeah. biggest thing by far. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I, I think those two make it. Hechevaria just because of – Honestly, pretty good last year. And yeah, he, he played. He played great unexpectedly when he got to Atlanta. He could play defense too. I mean, the short. He's a backup shortstop, which yeah, you, and he you, has you a major league deal too, if memory serves. Yes. So he he's on the roster. I would imagine uh, so as well. So yeah, I mean, barring something weird happening, I would sure think Culberson makes it again. Um, you know, he's shown, as you said, he can he can be a serviceable bench guy, a guy who has some experience pinch hitting. It's not like he's never done this role before. Also, feels like a guy that if he only gets two plate appearances over a full week, he's probably not going to be you know grumbling in the corner and making life miserable for everybody. So um, by all means, get a spot for Charlie and let him be that 26th man. And, if, and then if you have to make a change at some point in the year, you know, you, you can easily make that adjustment without losing too much. That sounds right. All right, let's move on to third base, which we have discussed previously. In fact, last week on the show, Eric and I talked about the quote unquote news that Brian Snicker essentially ruled out any scenario where he's carrying both of these guys, which I hated. And I said that, and I still believe the same thing. But now we'll just operate in that way and talk about them the way that they need to be talked about. Um, so Fangraph projects the third base for the Braves to be 22nd in Major League Baseball and basically projects a split almost down the middle. It projects 343 plate appearances for Camargo and 273 for Riley, um, which is, you know, about 55-45, 60-40, something like that in favor of Camargo. Um, the plan, as we know it right now, is to carry one of them to open the season as a starting third baseman, uh, I assume every day, if not close to every day. Uh, what do you make of these two guys? Because you have the one one guy is you know your power option, who was obviously awesome last year when he first arrived and cooled off violently. And you have Camargo, who was a starting level player for a full season two years ago, and then last year was brutal in a smaller role. So I don't know. This is the one spot that no one has an idea what to do with, frankly. Yeah. I mean, I, I, go, I find myself going back and forth, too. I mean, at first... Um, you know, I was like, well, you 
carry both guys and figure it out. I, I think there's an argument for that. But I think where I've kind of settled on is this. I would give Camargo the everyday job to begin the year. I would have Riley in AAA because I'd rather him play every single day in, in Gwinnett than uh, you know be sitting the bench and only play you know twice a week in Atlanta. Um, and I, I think you give Camargo the chance. I mean, he's as we've seen, he's had a really good. I think people forget just how good Camargo was in 2018. I mean, if you could replicate Camargo's 2018 and say, "Hey, you can have this in 2020." I would absolutely take that. Oh, I mean, that's not... No doubt. <laughs> I agree with you 100%, and I also think that is not likely <laughs> to happen. I'll be honest with you, because he I, your, your point is a good one that he actually was, you know, all my skepticism aside, he was a legitimately good starting player two years ago. Like, he had a... I'm looking at the numbers right now as a refresher. He had a 116 WRC+, plus mm-hmm. and was worth more than three wins. If you could guarantee that, and you absolutely cannot... You definitely take that and you run. That is the best case scenario for third base this year. That would be incredible if Camargo was that guy again. I am very skeptical because he was never that guy before or after anywhere. But, I mean, he did it, so it's possible. He, we watched him do it for a year, so it's, it's in there somewhere, I guess. Yeah. And even if he isn't quite as good as what he was in 2018, I mean, if he had a 110 WRC plus with the good defense, and if, you, if you're counting on him – you know, a 110 WRC plus is your sixth or seventh hitter, and you know you're going to get good defense. I mean, I would take that. I'm, if you gave you know, me 100 WRC plus, I would take it yeah. from third base this year, especially if it's Camargo with his, to your point, his defense is pretty good over there. It's not incredible, but it's pretty good. If you give me a league average bat and league average or better defense at third base, yeah, you just take it, I think. I mean, Riley has, I think, higher upside pretty clearly yes. with, with the bat. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if there was a way to guarantee league average possession uh production production over there you would just take it and run i am you know i'm a noted camargo skeptic so i'm sure i'm a little bit lower than most people are about him um and the utility role did not go well last year i mean i said this last week i think or two weeks ago but if, if you're the braves i think you're hoping that riley just makes makes the choice for you and he's just incredible and you have to, and you have to use him sure but absent that i mean camargo's probably a little bit safer i mean that, that feels weird to say cuz he was so bad last year but he feels like, I mean, at least he's done it for a full season in the major leagues. We've yeah. seen him be a good player for a full season. And I think, too, you know, you, you give Camargo that chance out of out of camp, and you see what happens. You know, you give him a month and see what, and, and if he's going great, if it looks like 2018 was more of who he really is when given a chance to play every day, then you're in great shape. If it's not, then hopefully, one, Riley is playing well in Gwinnett, and you bring him up without, you know, again, he's on the 40-man already. You can bring him up without losing too much. Um, you at least give Camargo the chance to, to hold the job for himself. And then, as you said, without a doubt, Riley has the higher ceiling. I mean, Riley has. We saw just what that bat can do whenever he's going right. Um, I will say it, <laughs> spring training feels to me like a perfect scenario for somebody like Austin Riley, right? Like a guy who – Oh, God, yeah. The power. <laughs> I mean, he feels like a guy who Prenner, you know, every year is going to be like the spring training MVP for the Braves. Well, and, because, th- and this year he already has two homers. He's got an OPS and over 900. Like this, yep. he's built for this, to your point. He's, Slug- he's slugging seeing, 609. Like right. it's just kind of he's in his not seeing advanced stuff here. Yeah. I mean, he's basically seeing what he saw in – Gwinnett last year when he was homering literally every single night. And then well, came and, and in Atlanta, I mean, that was the thing. Yeah. Like, once guys adjusted to him is when the bottom fell out. And that right. wasn't a huge shock to us. We said that kind of when he, even when it was happening, like, wait till this stabilizes. But, yeah, that, that's kind of funny. I hadn't thought about that because um, Riley, 
you know, I don't think that he could realistically, I'm not sure he could win the job in spring on his own just because of what you said. Like he can't really prove anything in spring training to me right. anyway. Like, like what, pitchers aren't getting their two hours right. of scouting reports in before spring training games. No, I, I mean, if Camargo just fell on his face, maybe, but he's not done that. He looks fine. I mean, his, again, numbers I don't really care about all that much in spring training, but Camargo's hit the ball pretty well. So if I had to guess what's going to happen, I'm going to guess they go with Camargo opening day and Riley's and Gwinnett. That's my guess. It's a guess, but... Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, so we'll see. I, I, I'm okay. I'm more okay with with that because of what you said before I'd rather, I'd rather Riley play every day if they had gone with Riley as the starter and they still could if they go if they go with Riley as the Atlanta starter and they send Camargo, Camargo to Gwinnett I have no idea why <laughs> like no idea Camargo I don't has, think there's any chance they would send Camargo to Gwinnett they've said I it I mean I think that's like a 2% chance well but they've said it Snickers said he's not going to carry both I mean he's he's literally pretty much said that on uh, the record now I mean yeah and Camargo's 26 years old this is not a prospect anymore like no, him going to Gwinnett is insane to me, especially with his value. Even if Snit like, said that, yeah. I mean, he did say it. I'm, I'm not making it up. We, we talked about it last week on the podcast. No, no, no. I, I'm not saying. Oh, I know. It's yeah, just I'm not it's frustrating. Saying, I don't get yeah. it. To me, I, I would be stunned. I mean, if in three weeks, if Yohan Camargo's in Gwinnett, I would be. Uh, I would be stunned. too, I, just because I, you know, going back to what I just said a second ago and what I think you agree with, like I think Camargo's going to start the season as the opening day third baseman, but if he doesn't, and it's Riley, and it's not because of injury. I just I will be baffled if they put Camargo and Gwinnett, and, and Gwinnett. It doesn't make sense to me at all. Like he's not, like he is. He can play other positions. He have value on the major league roster. I just don't get mm-hmm. it. But alas, um, I think yeah. like we like we said, it'll be Camargo. But we'll see what happens from there. And regardless, you will just take decent production at third base this year. You know, Fangraphs projects them to be pretty bad. Sure. I think if if the Braves were middle of the pack at third base, you would be overjoyed by that. Really. That's that's at least that's how I am. Yeah, like, and if those guys are hitting sixth or seventh in the order, yeah, absolutely, and they will be. I mean, unless unless I think the only way that that doesn't happen is if Riley just murders the ball and he pushes pushes his way up to like fifth in the lineup at some point. Yeah. But that'll take a while. Like it's not gonna like they're gonna open the season with Riley hitting fifth. I don't think. Maybe they no. maybe they will, but I mean it doesn't, it doesn't seem like that. <laughs> no, I wouldn't put any, I wouldn't put anything past the manager. But alas, here we are. All right, let's go to the outfield before we get out of here. Um, we know who two of the guys are, so let's start with them. Uh, Ronald Acuna, one of the best ex-players in baseball. Um, I'm not sure what the number is, but it's not a very big number. Um, and then Marcel, Marcel Azuna, who got paid a bunch of money to come for one year. Um, let's talk about Acuna first to, to, to get out of the way. You know, I had, I had a fantasy draft. This, this is not the same thing as real life, but I had a fantasy draft the other day, and Ronnie went second. That's uh, that sounds. I mean, his mix of speed and power is unparalleled. I mean, other than Trout, he he is basically one of. A well, guy. Trout's not running anymore. Like Trout. Yeah. I mean, to, by the way, that's probably the right thing to do for him. But Trout, in fantasy anyway, this does not matter for real life necessarily a whole lot. But Trout doesn't run, doesn't steal bases anymore, and Acuna stole thirty-seven bases last year. So, I think stolen bases are probably overrated in terms of how much they help you win. But the fact that he can do that is a big thing, and we said it before, let's just say this now. Ronald Acuna, last season, at the age of 21, was worth 5.6 fan graphs war. He had 41 homers. He stole 37 bases. He scored 127 runs. He had a 518 slugging percentage. Like, he was a legitimate superstar player at 21 years old last year. 
superstar, not not just star, superstar, like top yep. 15 player in the league already at age 21. The, would it surprise you, Scott, if if I told you in like August that Ronald Acuna is the second best player in the league, would you be surprised? Uh, no, not at all. Because as good as he was last year, he was even better as a rookie. I mean, that, that's the crazy. He part. was a better hitter than a rookie. Yeah, better hitter. It's kind of funny. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think in Vegas right now, he's he's has he's tied with Yelich for the best odds for NL MVP, uh, which would surprise nobody. No. Um, and again, I mean, you mentioned the age thing. Um, uh, yeah, the the one thing with Acuna uh, that he needs to work on is the strikeouts, and you want to see him. You know, again, strikeouts are not this you know this big bad monster that people make it out to be. Um, but it it did go up to twenty six percent. I think he led baseball in strikeouts, or was near the top of the the list in strikeouts. Even though I would argue it's just because he's a leadoff hitter on a good. I was gonna offense. say he played every day, um, ton of plate appearances. Yeah, yeah. seven hundred plus, um, I believe, plate appearances last year. So yeah. that that's part of that for sure. So regardless, though. 26%, 26.3 is, is a little too high. I mean, ideally, it'd be down a few ticks. Um, he did walk more last year, which is a good sign. It's not like he doesn't see the ball. It's not like he even goes up there and just starts chasing and hacking. His, his, you know, it's not like he has bad numbers in that regard. Um, you know, He's a guy who swings really hard, and sometimes you're going to miss the ball when you swing really hard. And again, I'm not saying that he needs to change anything, but if there's one area for him to improve his game, other than maybe a little more consistent uh, defensively, would be just to cut down on the swing and miss a little bit. Yeah. Um, I feel safe in projecting Ronald Acuna for more than five war. And that's, he, there's a very short list of players that I would project that for in a season. So he is very good and we'll leave it there for now. Um, come back in a second with some flexibility and positional stuff. Let's go to Ozuna quickly here. We talked about him when he was signed. So we spent a lot of time on him then. I, nothing's really changed for me. I think you just play him every day, and he rolls out there, and you're hoping that his batted ball profile, which has been very good, and his hard hit his hard hit rate, all that stuff, translates more into production. But even if he's just the same guy he's been the last two years, which is not incredible, he's it's still fine. He's still like a two and a half three win player, and that player is worth the money, and he helps your lineup. Absolutely. I mean, you you talk about Ozuna and having that upside for more. I think that's what they're banking on. Even if he is the same guy he was with the Cardinals the last few years, you can take that. You can you know have him as your fourth or fifth hitter and and not be too concerned about it. But as you said, the batted ball profile makes him look like a much better hitter than what the numbers would indicate. Um, of course, we've seen him have the monster year in 2017, just a few years ago, when he was one of the best players or one of the best hitters at least in baseball. Uh, so yeah, you hope there's a little bit more, um, you hope those last year was just kind of unlucky and then his unluck is, is the Braves' fortune and, um, he's able to really stable because you talked about him being fourth behind Acuna, Ozzy and Freddie, he is going to have a million chances to come up big and they're going to need him to deliver in that spot. Yeah. I mean, frankly, he's the pretty clear choice for the fourth best hitter on the team, uh, is it impossible that he wouldn't be that? No, but I think if you were just realistically, he's kind of in his own tier for me on this team. You have the top, you have the top two hitters, I think, with with Ronnie and Freeman. Then you have Ozzy in his own tier, and then you have Ozuna in his own tier. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, and then everybody else is kind of similar, and you know, guys could join the Ozuna tier. Like obviously, Austin Riley, if you put it together, would be a candidate to do that. Um, but I think going into the season, he's pretty clearly the fourth best hitter on the team, and you need him to be that. And that's what he, the Braves signed him for, and 
he'll provide if nothing else we know he has that pop in the, w- with his power so that's that's going to be there and it's a big thing the Braves need okay uh transitioning a little bit to the last spot and uh this is what we've all been waiting for you have this trio of players available um most of the projection systems including Fangraphs are plugging Ender Enciarte in as a maybe not full-time starter but a most of the time starter in center field which I agree with I think that's what I would do if I was making the choice um, and then you have Marquecas and you have Adam Duvall, who I think everybody agrees Duvall is the most likely candidate to finish fifth in the outfield in, in terms of plate appearances, just because of the way that, you know, this team is managed and his profile. So I don't want to even go too deep into this now, but, you know, we'll start with Ender real, real fast. What's Ender going to do with the plate? Because that's the big question that always everyone has with Enciarte. Is he, is he going to hit enough to play? And the baseline is fairly low for him to uh, hit him hitting enough is not that impressive because of his glove. But is he going to hit enough? Because we saw last year for a while he just was not hitting enough, even even for that. And then there were times when he was hitting a little bit, and the full season numbers are not great. But a 93 93 WRC plus that is enough for him to play every day, or at least mostly every day, because of the fact that he can play defense. And the other, you know, at least one of the other guys doesn't really do that very well. Yeah, I mean, I think ideally with Ender, if you can hide him in the eighth spot in your order and you can you have the lineup where you almost anything you're getting from him offensively is is kind of the cherry on top, right? Like I think that's your best case scenario for him. Um, you know, last year was kind of a lost year with all the injuries, but again, the defense remains so good. Um, he makes the Braves a better team whenever he's on the field. He helps helps the young pitching staff out immensely with his glove. Um, and just because of him being at center, it doesn't force that on Acuna. I think everybody agrees he's better in a corner. So um, me personally, I would give Ender every chance to be kind of the everyday guy or at least the everyday guy against right-handed pitching uh, because of what we just talked about. And, hey, if you know if he can kind of regain his form from 2016 to 2018, it'd be a really big boost. Yeah, I mean, the best alignment – Especially against right-handed pitching, I think their best alignment is pretty clearly Ozuna, Enciarte in center field, and Ronnie. Is that? Do you agree with that? Before we before, before we move on, we mentioned before there are more right-handed starters by a lot in the National League. I think your majority everyday lineup should be that, in my opinion. You have Ozuna, you have you have Ozuna in left, Ronnie in right, and Ender in center. That's what I would do most days. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Absolutely. Okay. So from there you get into the shuffling aspect. Ender has never hit left-handed pitching well. Um, would you, as a matter of like going into the season as the plan, would you plan to use Duvall against lefties and slide running to center, or would you just keep rolling Ender out there? Um, no, I think I would utilize Duvall. I think you and I are bigger fans of we like Duvall, Duvall than maybe the, <laughs> the average fan. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think you have to utilize Duvall in the ways you can, and that's against lefties, and then you shift uh, Acuna to center. I do think that would be my my tentative plan. Again, it's not one that's going to be needed all the time, right? Because of the alignment. But yeah, that's what I would do. Okay, so we're on the same page with both of those things. That, of course, brings the question of how does Marquecas fit in? Because they've they've resigned him. They're saying all the right things about him, how, him not playing as big of a role. That is the right thing to do, and I think he can be a valuable player in the right role. Um, but if we just if they did what we just laid out, which I'm not sure they're going to do, but if they did. Marquecas is now basically a bench bat, and he would occasionally, you know, give Ozuna a day off or give Freeman a day off 
or so you know kind of just do this this little stuff is that going to happen is the million dollar question we can't answer but that's what I would do I mean that, that's that would be the use of him that I would make and if you get an injury for two weeks and you're playing him every day like you could do worse Marquecas as a fill-in outfielder is not bad at all like it's better than what most teams would have in that spot but I think his role if everybody's healthy should be a pretty small one so so let me ask you this on Mark Akins. Over under Uh-oh. 300 plate appearances next season. It should be under, man. It just should be. Uh, get, you're making me guess now of what they're actually I mean, going that, to do. Yeah. Like for reference, when he played every single game in 2018, he was at 705. Yeah, it's so, not going to be. I mean, like, barring, barring an injury, I mean, even even the most vocal skeptic, <laughs> of them limiting his playing time has to acknowledge that he's not going to play every day this year. It's just not going to happen. I, I mean, if, if they, if they do that, if, they, if everybody's healthy and he's playing every day, I would lose my mind. Um, so cross that off. What is the path for him to get to hit for him, for him to get into 300 plate appearances? I, I think it's if Ender is, gets hurt again. You need, you need Ender to either be really bad or hurt. Yeah. I think. Or have, or, or have an injury to Ozuna. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, because, I mean, if you look at Mark Hakus last year, 112 WRC plus against right-handed pitching. Like, you can deal with that. that he that's he not, can hit right-handed pitching. That, that is the thing that he does the best on a baseball field. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, and you can live with that. And if he's in the, you know, middle back of your, rotate, or of your uh, lineup with that, you can handle it. I mean, to be honest, that's basically what Marcelo Zuna has been the last two years uh, in St. Louis. But as you said, there's the shortcomings defensively and, and so on and so forth. So I, I think I'm with you. I think if Ender is healthy and hitting, I think it significantly limits or is going to limit the number of the Marquecas appearances. But again, if somebody gets hurt, as you said, it, it's not a black hole situation where it's like, oh God, we're going to bet this guy eighth and hope. No, the, he, the he, he can still hit does. a little bit. It's not like he's yeah. a terrible hitter. My okay, I had a thought of how he he might get there without it without an injury. Is there a is there a way slash a chance that Snicker does kind of like a half and half with Enciarte and Marcakis, like with no rhyme or reason, really, just kind of splits the playing time and whenever like every other day, basically, maybe not maybe, maybe not that perfectly. But every other day against right-handed pitching, they he splits them up and basically just like has Ender play sometimes and Nick and Nick play sometimes and have Ryan shift to center as needed because that that's the other way it could happen just because you know Snicker just loves Marquez and it's not a big secret. I'm not projecting that, but that's the other thing. That's only the other thing that I can see it happening because mm-hmm. with even with the way that he has talked about it, he can't come out and play him every day with all these comments made. So. That's the other way it could happen. And honestly, if we're being candid about it, he's a better hitter than than, than, than Ender is. He just is. So Oh, significantly. Yeah. So if they don't worry about the defense that much, then there's an argument there. Like maybe if the offense is really struggling, which I can't imagine really being the case. But if that if that happens in like April and May, if the offense, if you're reading stories from Gay Burns about how the offense needs a jolt. And Ender's ha- and Ender has a seventy five WRC plus. They might just go to Marquez for two weeks straight. You know what I mean? Like that. That might. Oh, happen. absolutely. So I mean, it, I it's know. the trade off, right? Yeah, I mean, you just said it exactly. It's it's the trade off. 
Marcakis is, uh, based on however many years of data, is the better hitter than Ender. You know, the trade-off yes. of a better bat versus a better glove. And not only that, but if you are playing Marcakis, it means you have to shift Acuna to center field. And I think most people would agree that Acuna's center field defense has been much shakier than it is when he's in the corner spot. Well, and it's also a little bit more a little bit more wear and tear on Acuna that you probably don't want to have sure. to do. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not the worst thing in the world. He's a young guy. He's a great athlete. He'd be fine in center field, but I think he's... Acuna probably isn't going to be an elite defensive center fielder, whereas he actually might be a great defensive right fielder. That might happen. Oh yeah, he's fla- he's flashed that. It's not mm-hmm. it's not he's not all the way there yet. But in two years, if he's like a Gold Glove level right fielder, I won't be surprised by that. Sure. Whereas in center, he probably isn't going to be that. Like he'll be fine, I think. But defensively, there's no question their be- their best alignment has Ender in center and Ronnie in right. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. It's just that offensively, that probably isn't your best bet either. So, I don't know. There's lots of give and takes. 300 is probably a good number. I am going to... Hmm, I'm going to take the under. Yeah. I but mean, I won't, I but not, a, yeah. not, not I mean, with a ton of confidence. Yeah, there's a path to get there. Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, one one major... Not even, maybe not major. One like semi-major injury, and it's probably going to be over. Because then yeah. he's going to play every day. If there's, if anybody, I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. If any of those three guys in the outfield get hurt for a month, you better believe Snicker's going to roll Marquez out there every single day for mm-hmm. that for that month. And that might not well, be the wrong thing, by the way. That, that might be the sure. right decision. I'm not even, yeah. I'm not going to criticize it. But um, unless it's against left-handed pitching, that wouldn't be a good idea. Um, well, at, and especially in the first half. I mean, if if Ender continues to be kind of the notorious terrible hitter in the first half and then picks it up. I mean, we're talking about, um, you know, as I pull it up here, they're they're not going to yep. give Ender that that much leeway this year. I wouldn't imagine if, he, I, if I don't he's really so. that if he's really bad, like in the seventies WRC plus wise, yeah. that might get him hooked. I mean, last year, you know, in the first half, he had a sixty-one WRC plus. <laughs> I mean, that that is that's rough. I mean, that that is a significant drop. If he does he that, does... he will he will not keep playing every day, right? Nope. And, and even over his full career. Uh, uh, over his uh, entire career, he has a 75 WRC plus in the first half, 115 in the second half, which Boy, is that, really that good. is that is like that hilariously time. big split. I think yeah, I think we knew that, but that's bigger than even I thought it was. Yeah, so I mean, if he was a 115 WRC plus guy year round, he'd be a five WAR player in a perennial All Star. Well, he right? would be what people thought he was that one year that he had that he had 200 hits. <laughs> yeah, I mean, truly. I mean, you look at his numbers and. Uh, you know, his on-base percentage is 50 points higher in the second half than the first. And, you know, it's not like this is a year and a half worth of data here. He's 29 years old. He's had, four, I think, five full seasons in the bigs now. Um, so, yeah, again, we talk about – I think it's a good problem to have if you want to call it a problem that you have that that flexibility of, of whether it's Ender or Marcakis or Duvall to partner with Ozuna and Acuna. It's, it's a good spot to be in. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if he's hitting – if he's hitting like he has over his whole career and you're facing Jacob deGrom that night, I would probably go with, with uh, Mark Kikis over Ender. Yeah. Um, if, if you're, if your offense is going well and you want to get a good defense, you know, you're in a big park, you're in Coors field or something like that. And you want Ender to help navigate those giant gaps. Well, well then you play Ender instead of Mark Kikis. So again, it's, it's never a bad thing to have competent, capable guys, right? Yep. But, no, I mean honestly, the I think like I speak for myself only on this, but you might agree with me. 
it's kind of funny, and we've kind of all leaned into the bed a little bit, but the the only real concern with paying Marquecas what he's being paid is is overuse. If he is deployed in, a, in an appropriate manner, it's totally fine. He's a very useful player. He hits right-handed pitching. He'll be a good pinch hitter for you. Like, he has value, and I think it would not surprise me at all if Ender struggled and you saw more Marquecas and everybody was okay with it. You know what I mean? Like, it's not yeah. like he's going to kill you. Makes the lineup better. That is for sure. Defensively, yeah. no. But. No, I mean defensive, and that's why. And that's why to bring things full circle. That's why we both said at the very top that as long as Ender hits at all, you play Ender because he, the, the defense in center field at a premium position, and allowing Acuna to be in right field, you know, and helping your own pitching staff, all that stuff. I, I leaned to that because I mean, if I projected the season, Marquez is probably like a ten percent better hitter. Than, Acuna, than uh Enciarte is, but give me the defense and that makes up for it. I think just yeah. if you just project those guys with, with the same amount of playing time, I think Ender probably gets projected for more overall value. So that's why we Ender. Yeah, there you go. We'll come back to that, of course, throughout the season. But that's the uh, inevitable discussion about the outfield, and hopefully, everybody does what they're supposed to do. I mean, if Ender hits at all, then he'll play. And Marquez could be in that good role. I mean, Duvall could be in his in his little tiny his little tiny corner of a role that's you know the best right-handed bench bat slash a defensive upgrade on Ozuna probably. Like you might see some Duvall late game substitutions on defense. That's not that's not a thing that sure. I mean he's not incredible, but he's better than Marquez and he's better than Ozuna. So if you were if you had a two run lead in the ninth inning of a big game, would you want Duvall in there on defense? I, I think I would. So yeah. Sure. I mean, that's, it's that's a game. Role, it's a role he can play, and you know, we'll see. Yeah, but. of course. I mean, if you if you've already used three pinch hitters, yeah, you probably don't burn them just no. on the chance that yeah. you go to extras. But, <laughs> you, you need his um, bat too. But I mean, but when the game allows for it, yeah, you absolutely. have uh, you have five outfielders. That's a, that's probably more than you need, especially when you factor in that you can also play Riley or you could play Camargo or Culberson there. Like you probably don't need to have five outfielders, but but you're gonna have five outfielders. That that decision has been made. So yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll see what happens. I think everybody is going to be in favor of this 26th man because it just... Especially Charlie Culberson. Exactly. The Charlie Culberson rule, the 26th man. Um, But yeah, it just, I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, I think there's no reason for, especially in the extra innings of games when you have like pitchers hitting in like the 12th innings, like that should never happen. Like, I know stuff gets weird every now and then. It's not the, you know, this isn't a, a weekly occurrence, but... Um, I, I do think of all the rule changes that have been implemented lately, I think adding that extra roster spot is is a smart one. Yeah, and we'll see how they uh, handle that throughout the season. Um, Scott, any final thoughts? I think we talked about it a little bit at the outset, but this is a lineup that is a bit top-heavy. We knew that last year. It worked last year, but in part because all four, as a reminder, again, all four of the stars last year played like stars. And if that happens for you at the top, it, it cures a lot of ills, but it does remind you that if anybody does not play that way, and I think we said it at the time, but Donaldson 2019 is very, very, very likely to be better than Ozuna 2020 because Donaldson was very, very good last year. <laughs> so yeah. that is a downgrade, most likely, in your lineup, and you're hoping to make it up some other places. But mm-hmm. I, I still feel I still feel fine. It's just that you need the stars to be stars. Yeah, I feel fine too. I mean, I think again, I guess just kind of to encompass the last hour and a half or whatever we're going on here. Um, I think there's a chance for this to lineup to be worse than last year because of how good Donaldson was and yep. the healthy years, as you said. But I also think there's a chance that if we're talking in nine months and in the you know end of season 
podcast that we look back and go, you know what, this was the lineup got even better. Now, is Ozuna going to be Donaldson? Probably not. That is like absolute best case scenario for him. Um, but I do think you get a healthy year of Dansby. I think Darno has the potential to be a significantly better bat than what McCann was. Um, you know, you hope that. Oh, the, I, I have an idea, Scott. This will this will actually help okay. us. This would be a great thing okay. to get out of the podcast. Yeah, position by position, very very quickly. Better or worse than last year? Ready for this? Okay, based on war. Uh, yeah, sure. Overall just, value, just general feeling. Overall yeah. value at the position. Catcher, okay. catcher. I will say better. I like Travis Darno, so I'll say they're better than McCann Flowers. First base, we'll just say neutral. Yeah, yeah. Second base. I think Ozzy's going to have an even better year. I think he has the potential to have like I, it wouldn't stun me if Ozzy even like sneaks in and gets some like eighth place MVP vote. So I'm going to say Ozzy even has a better year. I tend to agree with that. Uh, shortstop. Oh, I I don't trust Dansby. Um, I would overall, say new, I would say neutral to bail you out. My, my answer would yeah, be neutral, which yeah, is not which so. by the way, which is not very good. You don't you don't want neutral if you're the Braves. You want better. You want better, and I think there's a chance for it to be better, but would I bet on it? I'm going to say it's, again, I just don't trust him to stay healthy over a full year. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Third base. I'm going to say they go backwards a little bit. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) not exactly (laughs) a hot take. Um, I'm not sure how to handle this. Uh, Do we we say Acuna was the left fielder? Okay, we'll we'll, we'll just do this. Acuna, Acuna versus himself. Um, I will say that Acuna... He had like a 125 WRC plus last year. I'll say he gets a little better. Yes. So I'll say he'll be he'll be sig- maybe his WAR won't be higher because I think again part of his the reason he was better last year on a value base was because he was in a corner outfield spot for a lot of it. Um, but I think he has the potential to be an even better hitter this year. So I'll say he he's slightly surpasses last season. Okay, and now I'm gonna group all of the other outfielders together. So take Acuna cool. out. All of the other outfielders from last year versus all of the other outfielders from this year. Um. It's got to be better, right? I mean, I don't know. I mean, Ozuna is just better than the guys they had. I mean, it's interesting because, I mean, everyone's natural comparison for Ozuna is to Donaldson, and that's what the role is, so I totally get that offense-wise. But he's still a better player than what they had last year, other than Acuna in the outfield. He'd still be the the next guy you chose out out of everybody else, right? Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, I, I'd be, I guess there's at least the the potential or the likelihood that he's better. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, last year was weird just because you had the Ender injury and he was never really there. So because you could get a full healthy season out of Ender and with his glove being so valuable, um, yeah, I'll say that group is better as a whole. Although I don't necessarily think it's going to be hugely significantly better. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the last thing here, I said at the top. Last year, they were 7th in Fangraph's war in terms of position players. That, that's offense and defense and base running. That's everything all together in one. Better or worse this year? I will say they are slightly worse just because Donaldson was like a 5-war player last year. So yeah. um, I'll say they're more, like, but not by a lot. Like They were 7th last year. I'll say they're going to be like 8th, 9, 10, somewhere in that, in that range. Yeah, I, I agree. I would project slightly worse i do think that um top three versus top three so if you you took out donaldson i think i would actually project the acuna freeman albies trio to be better overall in 2020 than 2019 which is pretty crazy because they were awesome last year but Mm. that's what what, that's about when when two of those guys were super young that's what happens (laughs) those guys are still getting better 
and then you go and then you go obviously a downgrade from Donaldson to Ozuna. Um, projected. Ozuna is capable of matching it, but not likely. And the rest of the roster is about the same. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, like it could be better. It could be worse. Between, right. Like the difference between Travis Darno and Brian McCann could be something, but it's not going to blow your socks off. Say with, right? say, you know, Dansby versus himself, um, Ender versus himself. It's just a lot of running it back. So, yeah, I would probably have the Braves as a top 10 position player group but not a top five, and I would take the under, I'm sorry, I guess I would take the worst side of seventh, even if I'm not convinced of that. I think neutral is almost a better answer. I think yeah. they'll probably be pretty darn similar to last year, and if you're the Braves, you will take that. Oh, absolutely. 97 wins? I, I, and I think... <laughs> well, I, <laughs> not necessarily that, surprise. but I, ju- ju- um, just, just position player-wise... Sure. Um, yeah, I think you probably take that. So because as we as we've outlined with the two podcasts for the the bullpen and the rotation, I think the bullpen for sure is going to be better. Yes, and the rotation, assuming they're healthy, uh, which is never a given with pitchers, but I think at least because you're expecting a better year at a full tee and another year from Sorokin, Freed, and so on and so forth. And uh, and, and of course your uh, your deep state theory about Cole Hamels to bring it all full circle. That's right. <laughs> Get him ready for the middle be, of May. He'll be he'll be fine on May on May fifteenth. He'll be just miraculously healthy. That's and right. Be He's going through a hundred midseason form. Yeah, there you uh, go. No, I'm kidding, but I'm also not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, Scott, we've done more than enough on this. Um, before we got before I let you sort of deliver your parting shot here. Uh, a programming note, next week I am totally unavailable to record a podcast on a, on Sunday, so it's not going to be in the normal time slot. We will see what we can do in terms of that. We are now done with the with the position previews. We will have at least one more, probably two more, but at least one more podcast between now and opening day. Um, that will definitely deliver our, our final predictions and stuff like that. Um, I'm hoping to do one more between that, but it's not going to be Sunday. I promise you that. So... Uh, keep that in mind, but subscribe and road to Atlanta will be around as well. We'll have plenty of stuff on this podcast feed, but without out of the way, Scott, anything else you want to say before we get out of here? No, thanks. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, we'll, we're getting closer less than three weeks, which is exciting. Um, be sure to check out the site, the daily recaps, especially with so few of the spring training games being on TV. Uh, every day we have recaps, so be sure to check that out and the position previews and all that good stuff. So lots of good stuff on the way. Yeah, it's absolutely huge uh, on top of me because, you know, people that have day jobs, it's hard to watch me playing baseball because most of the time it's during the day. I have not seen a ton of live baseball so far just out of the logistics of having a day job. It's kind of hard. So there you go. And by the way, you mentioned three weeks. Uh, we are, as of this moment, we are 18 days away from Crazy. the uh, open, from the opener in your in your neck of the woods. So, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to do opening day. Um, I mean, it, it is a 7-10 local start in Arizona. So right. you can probably um, pull it I'm off trying to do that. And um, I'll for sure be there over the weekend games, which would be fun. But, <laughs> as a sidebar, uh, I looked at the ESPN schedule just now and they already have Bumgarner written down as a starter for that game. <laughs> the Braves, are, the Braves have, have no pitcher. And by the way, that's the only game on any, on, on, on the entire schedule that has, that has a, a, any starting pitcher and it's, and it's Bumgarner for the, for the Diamondbacks. Yeah, the game. I don't think they've announced him because other teams like, like Jack it's just Flaherty. Funny. It's just funny to that. read that. <laughs> right. Just the one guy. Yeah. Bumgarner. Bum, nothing Bum, else. Bumgarner. But it's not like they have like, it's not like it's Garrett Cole where it's no, like, it's, it's going to be, him. it'll be, him, um, I think, but but they, they at least have like they have Robbie Ray. I think um, they they Luke paid him Huber, though. It's gonna, it'll, or, it'll, be, yeah. it'll be it'll be him unless he's unless he gets hurt in a ro- in a rodeo accident. It'll be it'll be a little <laughs> What an amazing story! Oh, yeah. and I would imagine we will see Mike Soroka, but we'll see. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll come back to that That's later cool. on. All right, Scott. Thanks, man, for joining me as always. 
one more time as for everybody else thank you for listening please 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 subscribe to the podcast even if you're already a listener go ahead get, click the subscribe button leave us some five-star feedback we would like to grow the show if possible i really appreciate everybody's already been listening we will be here throughout the season and uh, we'll see you guys next time Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts.